Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. I just say to you, that you're going to be extremely blessed by my guest tonight. His name is Corey Turner. He is the global senior pastor of Nuba Church, Numa, at spelled N-E-U-M-A, after, of course, the Greek word Numa meaning spirit, Holy Spirit. And uh, Numa Church is an international and multi-location church. Each week, thousands of believers are activated to follow Jesus through Corey's preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. There we go. That's what we talk about all the time on this broadcast is the gospel of the kingdom. Corey is also a recognized prophetic voice across the wider body of Christ. He's the author of several books, and his ministry is marked by visionary faith, insightful preaching, and moving powerfully in the gifts of the Spirit. Corey resides with his wife, Simone, and three beautiful children in Melbourne, Australia, which has been really the most locked down city in the world. And I know it certainly must be a challenging time for those of you who have been living in Australia, particularly in Victoria and Melbourne. But Pastor Corey is joining us, guys. And please go ahead and share this broadcast. This is going to be an amazing time of revelation, discussion, and listening to Corey as he shares on what God is doing in this season. So without further ado, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. We're honored to have you on the broadcast. Blessings. Thank you so much, Glenn. It's such a privilege to be a part of this. And even in the introduction, I'm getting inspired and excited and can't wait to share a bit of our journey and heart uh, with all of the listeners and our viewers today. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we want to hear your journey. I mean, you are in Melbourne. You're pastoring Numa Church, which is a church, as I've already mentioned, that is international. It's also multi-location, not only in other cities in Australia, but even in other nations. And you've also set your sights on planting churches globally. But before we go there, let's just talk a little bit about you, the person, the man, because God uses people, doesn't he? He's more yeah. concerned about us and who we are. Let's talk about your journey, how you came to the Lord and how you, you stepped into this role that you're now serving in now. So, so wonderfully. Yeah, yeah totally. No, thank you, Glenn. Um, for me, my journey really began uh, with my parents. Um, my parents were far away from the Lord uh, before I was born, um, uh, living uh, a lifestyle completely opposite to kingdom values and kingdom culture. And um, when my mother became pregnant with me, um, she had an encounter with the Lord where God spoke to her and said, uh, open the Bible that your mother gave you. And so my grandmother gave my mother a, a Bible um, uh, at the news that uh, she was pregnant with me. And my mum woke up in the middle of the night and she uh, opened the scriptures to Jeremiah chapter 1, the call of Jeremiah um, being a prophet to the nations. And um, God spoke to her again and said, the son that's in your womb, the boy that's in your womb, and my mum hadn't confirmed what gender I was, but the Lord said, the child that's in your womb is going to grow up and fulfill this promise. And um, as soon as I was born, within three weeks, my mum walked into the nearest church, which actually happened to be, a Salvation Army church, and mum didn't know churches from churches. So mum walks in and uh, over three weeks attended church and um, there was no altar call. So on the third Sunday, she got up, walked down the front during the preaching of the message and said, what must I do to get saved? And literally helped the pastor lead her to the Lord. And within three months, my dad got saved. Within 12 months, they were in Bible college. And within two years, they were planting and leading their first church. So for me, my journey is intertwined with my parents' journey and my parents' salvation is connected to my call. And so in those uh, first few years of my life, at about four years of age, I remember in kids' church making a conscious decision to follow Jesus and ask for his forgiveness 
at six years of age, I, um, one Sunday night, I um, had a man of God lay hands upon me and uh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And um, when you're six years of age, it, it's either real or it's real. You can't fake it. Um, and so ever since that day, <clears throat> I've been conscious of the manifest presence of God at work in my life. And really that set me on a course of growing in favor and stature with God and man, better understanding the call of God upon my life and what that meant for how I was to live that out. To be honest with you, I have been a reluctant leader most of my life. Um, uh, obviously, so um, proud of my parents and their ministry and what God has done through them. Mm. My parents are very apostolic, prophetic in their ministry, planted many churches across Australia. Um, but uh, for me, whilst I honoured that and was close to the Lord, I really didn't um, like the concept or idea of answering the call of God, which I know many viewers and listeners today will identify with. Um, there was a real wrestle in my will. I was a athlete, and so my dream was to be a professional athlete and travel the world, make lots of money. And uh, God really got a hold of me um, in my late adolescent years, um, I uh, I did a Jonah and I ran to the police force, actually. And uh, it was when I was in the police academy that um, the lecturer, the, the academy lecturer asked me to do a speech and to speak about a particular topic. And, um, and because I was raised in a house of preachers, we know how to prepare an outline and get things ready. So I got up there and Basically, a five-minute talk ended up being a 10, 12-minute sermon. And uh, at the end of the speech, there was just deathly silence in the academy lecture hall, and there was hundreds of um, uh, police academy recruits. And the, the university lecturer looked at me and said, literally said, what are you doing in the police force? You should be like a minister or a politician or something you shouldn't be in the police force. And I'm looking at her going, you've got to be kidding me. The Holy Spirit has just filled this uh, unbeliever and uh, is, um, is, is prophesying over my life. And I think that event plus, you know, some mighty men of God and women of God calling out the purpose and destiny in my life, that really got my attention. And, and a week after I graduated from the police academy, I was uh, preaching my first sermon and the power of God hit that place and, um, you know, people were getting set free of demonic spirits. People were getting destinies and, and ministries activated and called out of them. The, the power of God hit that place. And it wasn't anything that I'd been taught to do or that I was imitating. It was I was sensing, I was responding in obedience to what the Holy Spirit was asking me to do. And God was just moving. And that was now over 20 years ago. And so the last 21 years has been a wild ride following Jesus in answering the call of God on my life. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, and, and it's so good because, you know, my testimony actually is somewhat similar. And I'm just standing here going, oh, that's amazing. And, and so to see that happen in your life, and God then bring you um, to the place where the confirmation of the call, the gifts were evident there because, you know, God had already put that in you. He knew what you're going to be doing. And then you're at the place right now where you're pastoring Numa Church. Tell us, how did that happen? How did you step into that role? Yeah, so um, my wife and I um, really had an encounter with God uh, late uh, December 2017. Um, previous to that, we'd been similar to yourself, traveling around um, the body of Christ. I, for six years straight, I was um, ministering 47 weekends a year wow. around Australia, um, across Europe and Asia mainly, and, um, and God was opening a lot of doors. And so it's almost essentially in Australia we would call that itinerant ministry. Wow. Uh, there was um, the prophetic was a really strong part of that, the apostolic expression uh, of our ministry was really key, discipling a lot of leaders, speaking into conferences, churches. Then previous to that, we'd uh, planted and led a church 
for seven years and God blessed that. And we thought that was yeah. going to be our, our sort of dream, our baby for the rest of our ministry. Right. And then God really, after we discipled leaders, raised people up, God asked us to release that and go full-time to the body of Christ. And then previous to that, I served as a youth young adult pastor with my spiritual father, uh, Dr. Alan Meyer, and then um, obviously uh, internship Bible college. So there's been a 20 sort of year journey. It's interesting things that I were praying for 20 years ago when now starting to walk in. And I just want to encourage anyone out there that, you know, feels that God's put a promise on their life and God's prophesied something over them. Sometimes, you know, between the promise and fulfillment, there can be a considerable period of time. And yet God is faithful in every season to actually help grow us and de develop us and prepare us to walk in what he ultimately has for us. And so um, back in late 2017, uh, a prophetic friend of mine called me up. We were, my wife and I were at a cafe and uh, we were very comfortable in our itinerant ministry to the body of Christ and, and just shared a word about he was um, awoken in the middle of the night and God had given him a picture for us of um, in Genesis, the story of Rebecca uh, coming and meeting Isaac in the field. Okay. And he was speaking about Rebecca being a picture, a type of a bride. Um, and he said, there is a church, there is a, the bride of Christ is going to come and search for you in the field. And oh, you don't wow. need to chase it. You don't need to try and make anything happen, but they're going to chase you down because God is actually calling you to lead his people in a house, and it's. He, he went into all the details of what that was, and um, in about four weeks, we'd had about another twenty-one different confirmations from that, and then all of these invitations started coming to take on all these churches around Australia, and none of it felt right. But the church that we had been planted in, whilst we were itinerant, my wife and my three kids planted in the house when I wasn't here. Uh, they were planted here, and uh, I was on the board of directors here at the church, and I was having a conversation with the previous senior pastor, and he mentioned that uh, he felt really called to transition out, and he said, hey, I really believe that God's called you and your wife to take on wow. the church. Okay, wow. And, um, and so my heart just exploded, and I knew that, that, that it was the Lord. This church is 96 years old. Oh. It was... Um, the first Pentecostal church in Australia, uh, Smith Wigglesworth preached in the pulpit Come of on. this church. Oh, and wow. literally from where our church is positioned, around the corner on the street corner in Bridge Road, Richmond in Melbourne, um, when Smith Wigglesworth came and moved in powerful demonstration of healing at the turn of the 20th century, um, uh, they used to put all the crutches and wheelchairs uh, of all the sick people and all the medical equipment under the platform so that whenever the preacher in those early days, the founder of the church, C.L. Greenwood, whenever the preacher would get on the platform, they'd be preaching on the heritage of a move of God wow. in seeing sick bodies healed and lives changed. Wow. And that heritage really has not left this house. Yeah. Um, it, it's It's been an apostolic you know, center and um, the, the dynamic of the kingdom here ha has been here for nearly a hundred years. Wow. That's amazing. I did not know that. I've been reading up on the history of Numa Church, but I, di I didn't come across that. That's amazing. That's powerful. So here you are now. Um, it's been a difficult time, obviously, with COVID-19 and Melbourne, Australia being the most locked down city in the world, but let's talk about what's been happening in the ministry right now, you know, and over the past two years, um, have you guys been experiencing significant decline? A lot of churches have, um, just tell us what's your journey been yeah. like during this season? Well, I, I would say like many of us, um, this has been the most, difficult season of ministry that I've ever been through that many of us have ever faced. None of us have lived through a pandemic before. Right. Um, and definitely 
just picking up the leadership of a new church in 2019 that's established, um, uh, you know, the last two years of that has been in a restricted environment. We've had um, over the last two years, in 2020, we had nine months where there was such heavy draconian restrictions that we were not allowed to meet as a church uh, for nine months in a, in a gathering. Uh, and then this year has been seven months uh, wow. of heavy restrictions. So um, when you talk about reset, when you talk about a reformation, when you talk about really reframing and refocusing things moving forward, that definitely has been a part of our journey. However, having said that, um, I think if churches have only centred their focus upon the church gathering and haven't activated the body of believers in discipleship from week to week, I think they will feel some of that impact more than those who have been actively discipling and equipping the saints, not just from Sunday to Sunday, but 24-7. And we're grateful in our church that there was both an intentionality and a history of um, equipping the saints and discipling people beyond just a Sunday. Obviously, Sunday gatherings, uh, weekend gatherings are critical and important. We love them, we value them, and they are a key part of what we do in ministry. Mm -hmm. But for us, we really had to um, activate our life group leaders. We call our small group leaders life groups. Uh, We we had to really emphasise all things discipleship during the week, Our pastoral care was activated. Um, I think uh, over the course of the last two years, um, we've visited every single home uh, across the church at least twice, which represents thousands of people. Um, We've done four lots of, you know, four or 5,000 phone calls to to members of the church to care for them, provide essential care. Obviously, our online space, um, has been critical, and then really mobilising the church around prayer. Uh, mm. I've never seen the Australian church pray like it has the last two years. Wow. And it's sad that it's taken uh, a pandemic to bring us to our knees. Right. Um, but I'm sure like you've encountered in the US is that believers everywhere mm. have become more desperate. You've either gone in one of two directions. You've either gone sort of more complacent and, and more apathetic, or you've, you know, you've got, you've become more committed and more passionate, more focused and more zealous for the things of, of the kingdom. And yeah. so I think that for us as a church, on the whole, whilst yes, we've seen some measure of decline in engagement online, I would say the spiritual fervency, the, the hunger for the presence of God, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the the motive that the heart for people to embrace their calling and ministry is at an incredible height. And so we've seen a lot of amazing stories. We, we've seen the church grow by over 600 people, even in lockdown. Okay. Wow. Um, so, and, and it's not all about numbers, but it is about engaging with people yeah. where they're at. And so I do believe as we've had to adapt and as we've had to pivot, God's done some pretty amazing things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm uh, I asked you that question intentionally, knowing that uh, you guys have been seeing some significant miracles and the favor of God in in the most difficult and adverse circumstances. Literally, being the most locked down city in the world, and so that's amazing thing that God's grace has prevailed. You know, as the Bible talks about when the light of God's glory shines in the yeah. midst of darkness, darkness covering the earth and deep darkness, the people but arise, shine, your light is common. And I love the fact that you, as you mentioned, Corey, um, discipleship and small groups and, and really focusing on that because as important and powerful as encountering God in that corporate gathering yeah. is ultimately um, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And the Great Commission is all about discipleship anyway. So well done and, and so glad to hear that. That's one of the things that we talk about often in, in the kingdom community is the importance of really structuring in a way that you can effectively disciple people. Um, I love 
also that your mission is advancing God's kingdom across the nations. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. Um, what does that mean to you and what has that looked like since you've been the senior global leader at Numa Church? Yeah. I think like yourself, like many people watching this today, um, there's been an underemphasis of the gospel of the kingdom in the modern church. We, we hear a lot about the concept of the gospel of salvation, which is a part of the gospel of the kingdom, um, but we don't always hear the fullness of the message that Jesus came to preach. Matthew 4, 17, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 3 came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And, um, and access to that kingdom is through repentance. And so um, for, for me, growing up in the church, traveling and really the privilege of seeing what God's doing in different parts of the world and in different parts of the body of Christ, there's been this de-emphasis, this under-emphasis of, of an understanding of the theology of the kingdom of God. Mm. And yet it's the primary message and it's the key, it's, it's the only thing that, that Jesus is committed to advancing across the earth is his kingdom. Uh, and he invites us, Matthew 6.10, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So apparently, according to Jesus, more and more of this planet is to look more and more like the kingdom of heaven, which at the moment, Amen. there's a little bit of conflict happening there. Um, but I think what we've sought to do here is to reestablish believers' understanding of what does it mean to be uh, a steward and a citizen and a son or daughter in the kingdom of God and what does it mean to be on mission? Yes, making disciples is a critical, practical, strategic action in that. But for many believers, you know, either it begins and ends with church attendance or okay. it begins and ends with just making an, another disciple. And yet my question is why? Why are we making disciples? Why is this such an emphasis in Jesus' ministry and it's because he is, uh, he is wanting to, his intention is to restore dominion authority that was lost in the Garden of Eden and to establish his kingdom on earth through his people. And so I think one of the things we've done a lot over the last three years is we've preached on the kingdom of God. Um, we've really tried to help believers understand. And, and it's amazing. People in our church are like, I've never heard this before. Where, where have I been? And I'm like, well, this is the essential message of the New Testament. Yes. Um, so we need to understand it. We need to embrace it. And so I think, um, you know, the kingdom has lots of different expressions. Uh, it, it's not just advanced through um, disciple making. It's advanced through church planting. It's, it's advanced through practical action. It's advanced through signs and wonders, miracles, and, and demonstrations of power. It's advanced through uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, so we've tried to help people really understand the breadth and the fullness of what is the kingdom mission that God has called us to. Right. And I, I've really gone to great lengths to try and help people to understand what the kingdom isn't because I think a lot of people equate their kingdom with things that it isn't. And in order to understand what it is, we first of all need to understand what it isn't. Um, okay. So that has been a real journey. And, and I think... Um, you know, some of the dynamic of that has been really reshaping the culture of the church around kingdom concepts, kingdom truths, kingdom principles, and not just helping people understand the principle, but helping people understand the presence of the Holy Spirit that manifests the kingdom amongst us. And, and so for me, the last three years, because we've had uh, lockdown of such an extent it's been a prime opportunity to re-script and to help people relearn and understand the culture of the kingdom, the, the, the mission of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, and what we're trying to do here as a church. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. And and it's important to do that, you know, when we have these uh, what seems like dead ends really is a detour and an opportunity for us to, as you said, deconstruct and then reconstruct. So very powerful. Now, you're talking about um, kingdom culture in a sense, and I know you guys have some values. They're kingdom values. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the values that uh, 
you embrace at Newman Church and in, in your personal uh, yeah. values. Totally. I think um, one of the, the key things coming into leading the church is to really help people understand when we talk about values, we're talking about what shapes behavior. Yeah. It's not just what's important to us, but yeah. what's important to us should shape action, behavior. Yeah. And so um, we've got seven core values that really inform how we do kingdom culture. So firstly, prayer fuels power. So what we've done is completely mobilize the church around active participation in prayer. So obviously um, it begins with equipping people in their own individual devotional lives prayer. What does that look like? What does that mean? But it can't end there. It, it, it's extended to um, uh, multiple corporate prayer points of engagement during the week, online prayer. Um, we have prayer and two 21-day prayer and fasting seasons in the life of the church. Um, mm. We have um, uh, all things. We have, we have a prayer pastor. We have, even though every person is on team and staff is called to model a life of prayer, yes. we want this mobilized. We've got a vision to build a prayer chapel here. Um, we're, mm. we've, um, we have 24-7 prayer. We have a team of intercessors. Um, I myself particularly in Indonesia, have been a part of ministering and, and, and participating in prayer towers across Indonesia where I saw 24-7 prayer over a 20-year period of time, never stop, continual wow. prayer. And wow. churches of 20,000, 30,000 that have been uh, grown through prayer power. So we, we have a mantra, prayer fuels power. Secondly, God's word is our foundation. Um, we don't take our cue from the culture. We don't take our cue from the media. We take our cue from the word of God. Um, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain forever. So God's word has got to become our foundation. Uh, obviously, we know there's uh, lots of different ideas out there about what certain texts mean and say, but as best as we can with our uh, with the illumination of the Holy Spirit now learning, we want to help people understand the word of God and particularly the message of the kingdom. Um, we talk about how making disciples is not optional. Um, this no. isn't like a, a an extra add-on to following Jesus. This is what we're called to. Uh, I've found that a lot of people ask or pastors ask their people, where are you serving in the life of the church? And that's a good question, but I think the better question is who are you discipling? Who are you actually raising up and discipling to follow Jesus? And so we really want to call people to take uh, responsibility for that, equipping them in that. Also, we have a, a core value, love gives generously. Yeah, uh, yeah. You cannot say that you love your wife or your spouse and not be generous towards them. Um, we can't say that we love God and love his house, but not be generous towards God and his house and to each other. And so we want to help people understand that love needs to be actioned. Love needs to be something that is an expression of our lives. Um, if God is love and the nature of love is to give and share of itself, then we want that, that to be demonstrated in the life of the church. Also, um, uh, kingdom value, miracles are normal. Okay. Right? The supernatural is normal. Uh, for a lot of people, the supernatural and miracles, either they've never seen one, they don't know how to move in the supernatural, or it's, you know, they see that the supernatural is only accessible for like the special weapons and tactics leaders of the church. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, the supernatural is available and accessible for every single follower of Jesus. And so we want to normalize miracles and say, hey, Let's believe for this in our everyday life, moving, teaching people how to move in uh, pr prophecy in a really healthy way, in a safe environment, um, how, how to pray for the sick, how to recognize, discern, and to bring uh, deliverance to someone that's been oppressed by demonic strongholds. How, how do we evangelize in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Miracles are normal. Uh, then we talk about how freedom is a responsibility and okay. how the scriptures call us, you know, it's for freedom Christ set us free, yes, but how am I stewarding that freedom? And mm. and one of the markers of the kingdom of God is freedom, but how are we actually stewarding that with our fellow believers, with people in our wider community, uh, because freedom doesn't imply um, stupidity and just do what I want. It calls for wisdom. 
and it calls for me to to love and serve those around me and not just serve myself. And then finally, um, our seventh value is church is a covenant family. And in, in a world, particularly a Western culture, where there is so much brokenness in our understanding of the family unit, in our understanding of what true family is, yeah. in a world where people just leave relationships and enter relationships and leave churches and enter churches, we want to help people to understand that because we're called to be the family of God, church is a covenant family, it means that if there's an issue that we need to work through, if there's a conflict, we do it in the context of relationship and we exercise some emotional intelligence around that and we're not just uh, ghosting people, uh, cutting people off, ignoring people, but we're actually entering into the difficulty of the tough conversation to try and practice Matthew 18 and work this through together. And so whilst some of these values are aspirational, Glenn, um, I would say a majority of them are literal and are a part of the fabric of our of our church life. Wow. That's awesome. Wow, so good. Yeah, I, I love that. That there's a lot of meat there that you you just shared with us. So so good, guys. Um, go back over that. And it's so important, as you mentioned, particularly in in the culture that we live in right now, where relationships, it's just easy, just block someone on social media, whatever, move on, yeah. right? And uh, in the church, it happens unfortunately. And uh, so, so good to see that you're advocating for healthy relationships, covenant relationships. That's, that's amazing. Now, Corey, I know that you guys have, I'll just sit, put it in my words, a massive vision to plant new churches. And yeah. um, where is, where's your, the main uh, campus, main location, and you have additional campuses or locations. Yeah. Um, yeah, let us know about that and then also your vision for, for planning yeah. more churches. Yeah. So our main location is based in a suburb of Melbourne called Richmond, which is an inner city suburb. Um, people from all over the city, as far as an hour and a half away, drive in, as well as local um, uh, people uh, around the surrounding area are a part of this particular location. This particular location has been here for 96 years. Uh, In the last five years, Mm -hmm. um, additional churches have been planted, connected to this main location. Overall, in the last 96 years, something in excess of 150 churches have been planted out of this house. Wow. Um, Over 96 years, there has only been seven senior pastors leading the church. Uh, so a number of the people that have led this church have led it for a long period of time. Uh, so my wife and I and our team uh, are the seventh sort of uh, pastoral leaders of the church or apostolic leaders. Um, we have seven locations presently. Uh, we have four here in Melbourne. So from our city location, we have an east, a west, and a south location. And then we've planted over in Bangkok, Thailand, Uh, And that church has been there now for over five years. That has an established uh, hub. Um, We also have a location in Perth, Western Australia, so on the West Coast. And then we have a Perth in our southern, uh, a a venue in our southernmost state, Tasmania, in a city called Hobart. That's just started this year. Um, We're actually... Um, looking at planting in the Bay Area on the west coast of the states in um, late 2022. Um, And so we already have a team and a couple that's uh, actually over in the states right now doing some research work and building relationships. But the plan is in September of of next year is Mm -hmm. to plant in that location. It's an area that needs a lot of the work of the kingdom. Um, And and so... um, yeah, God's given us a a really not only a heritage of church planning. This church really is picking up. It's an apostolic hub. It's an apostolic mm-hmm. center. Um, but God's given us a clear vision to plant many churches. And I'm very reluctant to put numbers around things, but I think where the Holy Spirit gives directives, I think we need to follow that. If the Holy Spirit hasn't given that directive best not put a number around it because generally it's a work of the flesh. But 
um, the Lord really spoke to us clearly. I was in a stadium at a youth, uh, big youth evangelistic rally, thousands of young people here in Melbourne. And this is three years ago. And as I'm watching this stadium fill up, um, the Lord says to me, what if what I asked you to do was not to fill stadiums? Hmm. And I was like, what do you mean, Lord? Like, I want to see as many people come to know you as possible. And if that means we can fill hmm. stadiums, great. He said, but what if what I asked you to do was to plant churches that transform nations? Hmm. And, and I, I thought about that for, for several minutes. And as I began to sort of think about it, my response obviously was, you know, of course, Lord, whatever you want us to do. And he said, good, because I've called you to plant 200. And, <laughs> and yes, we've planted a church in the past. We understand yeah. what that's like. Uh, we planted a church with 11 people in a lounge room in 2006 and no money. And over three years, God grew up by several hundred facilities, staff, budget. We saw nearly 50% of that congregation was first-time believers. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we understand the church planning dynamic. Now we're in the process of raising up 200 church planners. Wow. And we've already trained and raised uh, 40 of them uh, over the last three years. Um, we do that through our Numa College. We have... Uh, a church planning intensive in Numa College, as well as my wife and I invest every 12 months into a core group of 20 church planters, and we're discipling them, we're investing into their lives, we're teaching them, we're equipping them. And so God really has it on our heart to be strategic, to be proactive, Mm -hmm. and to be apostolic in the way that we're raising up sons and daughters to advance the kingdom. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So just hearing you say that, the first thing that, that I'm like, okay, so where are these church planners coming from? What have you been doing? Um, obviously, ultimately, the Lord is the one. We pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth Ekbalo laborers into his harvest field, but we co-labor with him. We partner with him. There's something we have to do. What have you guys been doing to, to see such an amazing response? Uh, of people interested in planting churches. So what I would say, Glenn, is it actually really begins with the apostolic prophetic grace in the house. Hmm. Uh, I have this saying, it takes one to know one. (laughs) Okay. So by that, what I'm saying is um, there is something on the apostolic and prophetic graces that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets that that can identify and call out and draw and raise up Hmm. um, like graced people. And so um, in the the dynamic of fivefold ministry, and and I know we we may go there a bit later, but in the dynamic of fivefold ministry, often the, the pastors, evangelists, and teachers are more concerned about the delivery of ministry to people. The apostles and prophets, yes, have a heart for people and are ministering to people. But firstly, often the apostolic prophetic is trying to discern what is happening in God's heart, what's going on in heaven that we need to translate and deliver on earth. And then those fivefold graces come together to work to deliver that intention of the Lord and through his word and revelation through his word to the people. So for me, more than a program, more than a strategy, it's about what grace does does the point leaders of the church carry? Because I firmly believe if there is apostolic prophetic grace leading the charge in the house, it will automatically raise up and draw out apostolic prophetic type leaders Uh that are attracted to pioneering, are attracted to entrepreneurial type ministry at the grassroots. But then, obviously, with that grace must come strategy. So what we've done, I believe that if it's God's vision, as we cast vision for that, um, God is going to take that vision and he's going to seed it in people's hearts. And so we have 99% of the people that we've trained have come from in-house. Okay, yeah. They have not come, we've not recruited from outside. Yeah. We have... We have raised them up in the house because if God's called us to this vision, 
He's already got the people there that are ready to go. What we need to do is seed that, call that out, train that, activate that and prepare people to send out. Now, obviously, practically, we have a very stringent process um, of resourcing and identification of what that looks like. But I firmly believe a lot of people when they approach church planting are thinking program and strategy and they're ignoring the fundamental grace that God has given to the church to actually awaken it to multiply. Right. Yeah, very good, uh, Pastor Corey. So, you know, the truth is we know the Bible says that the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets in Ephesians 2.20, and God has set in the church firstly apostles, secondarily prophets, and so on. So it's so critical that we have this, and Paul, recognizing that, talked about foundation in his writings, and obviously it's not a hierarchical, it's it's foundational, and it's first, it's priority versus position, I believe, in the sense that if you're going to build a house, the first thing you you build is a foundation, and yeah. it has to be strong, it has to be able to up, you know hold, be strong enough to hold up everything else, and so... I believe that. I believe that the apostolic and prophetic must be in, as you said, it must come first. It must be leading the charge, so to speak. So, so that's amazing, um, to hear that. And this is part of, I believe the reformation that we're in right now is not just merely recognizing, affirming and identifying uh, the office of apostle and, and prophet, the offices, but there's a coming together and a collabing in the sense of the fivefold uh, working together. And, and as you mentioned, there is grace when that happens. Great grace was on the early church, Acts 4.33, and grace is a number of five, so fivefold. There you go. But let's talk a little bit about um, your structure. First of all, one of the most intriguing things about Numa Church under your oversight and leadership is the fact that you have a global team, which ironically shouldn't be ironic to us. Let me say it this way, but you actually have a, a five-fold team. Yeah. And so, I mean, I hear people talk about this all the time. Oh, we need that. We would love to do that, but we don't know how to do it, or we don't have the people in-house to you know, to, that are really part of the fivefold, each member of the fivefold. Would you just kind of just double click on that and help us yeah. to understand how did you get there? Because there's people, leaders, churches that um, want to know how to do this. And there's some that yeah. maybe this is a new concept altogether. Totally. Um, uh, I, lo- I love this discussion, Glenn. I love this question. Um, I think... Being a pastor's kid growing up, I saw um, point leaders, senior pastors of churches trying to be all things to all people. Mm. And inevitably, a lot of them burnt out Mm. because none of us are designed to be all things to all people. Right. And even as a a, a young Christian, I began to ask the question, there's got to be a, there must be a better way than just expecting one person to be everybody's answer. Uh, the only person that we know that that is is Jesus, and he gave us the fivefold office of Christ as by revelation through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. Hmm. I think particularly for churches that are more active in the gifts of the Spirit, okay. whether they're charismatic, Pentecostal, um, we tend to center our theology of church primarily on the book of Acts, on the Acts of the Apostles. And we, you know, because Acts 2 is like the action movie of the church and it's very pragmatic and it's attractive and it's inviting and we love it. And yet I began to look at Ephesians 4 and see that it's almost like a back-of-house constitution Hmm. to a front-of-house Acts 2 church. And... Anyone in governance of a church knows that if you get your constitution right, then you get the front of house uh, right as well. And I think we've ignored the pattern that Christ has given to us in the fivefold office of Christ through the revelation of the Apostle Paul. And we've essentially appointed one person or a couple 
to, to, to be all things to all people and the pressures that come are just uh, too much impossible to meet and and inevitably something is compromised along the way. Yep. So I went on a journey where I began to explore what if Paul's revelation of the fivefold was not meant to just be one person or invite an evangelist in or invite a prophet in. Right. What if we actually could set up a, a, an approach to leadership where you still have very clear apostolic leadership and oversight, but yet there is a collaboration and a sense of team work where we work together. I, you know, even in, in Hollywood movies, they've moved from the Lone Ranger type of superhero to right. now more Marvel's Avengers yeah. and the team dynamic where right. you used to have the, the, the great Lone Ranger who did everything by themselves. Yeah. Now you have these teams of superheroes working together. And I'm like, if Hollywood can get it, surely the church can get it mm. because Jesus has given us these fivefold gifts. So what we did when we took on the church is we really have spent the last three years restructuring around what we call five uh, fold seven pillars. So we have underneath the apostolic oversight, we have an apostolic pillar, we have uh, a, 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 pr a prophetic pillar, we have an evangelist, pastor, teacher pillar, and then we have our operations and business, which looks after all of our finance, all of our governance, all of our events, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And we began to go on a journey of calling out and identifying the graces upon people's lives to step up into a full-time paid capacity. Hmm. And the Bible says you shall know them by their fruit, all right? And, and, and I would just encourage anyone out there that is seeking to transition a church or seeking to implement this model of structure is that you've got to be careful about it just being a very subjective process. Hmm. It needs to have good counsel, uh, a number of people speaking into this because we have a way of self-defining ourselves that isn't always at the time Romans 12, 3, sober-minded, realistic of the grace that we actually have. But I believe that just like John the Baptist called out of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Interestingly, Jesus did not begin his ministry until the established spiritual authority of the day called out what was on him and who he was and then Jesus began his ministry. And mm. so I believe that, that if someone is carrying a genuine grace or gift or office, there'll be those fathers, mothers of the faith, colleagues yeah. and peers that will identify and call yeah. out of that person that grace and that gift. And there is a mutual corporate recognition of the grace that is on that person's life. And as there's a recognition and a, a, an alignment of faith to that, then that gift can operate. I say to people, it's not just what you believe about what God's given you. It's what you and your oversight believes about what God's given you. Because I can believe that I've got apostolic prophetic grace. But if my oversight does not see that, they won't make room for that. And yet the word says a man's gift or a person's gift makes room for them. So I think there's got to be this mutual journey, this recognition. And we went on that journey. We structured our global executive team around fivefold seven pillars, and we th those fivefold ministry gifts are activated to minister on the platform in the church. They're activated to teach and coach in their particular stream and grace. And so rather than the church being one-dimensional based upon the dominant gift of the point leader, if the, if the dominant gift on the point leader is pastoral, often evangelism lags behind. Right. If the dominant gift on the point leader is evangelism, often pastoral care lags behind. Mm -hmm. If the dominant gift is a teaching gift, then everyone is really into the word. They understand it. They apply it. Yeah. But often the prophetic is dulled down. So whatever our strength is, there is a corresponding weakness. Yes. But when we come together, you know, Isaiah talks about or Hosea talks about that the, the, the the, the wine, the best wine is in the cluster. And yeah. so there's this sense that um, it's as we come together as a fivefold team working together, when I'm in a meeting 
It's not all resting upon my shoulders to come up with all the solutions and answers. I will defer to the other graces. Our teaching pastor, Dr. Mike, he's got more experience than me, more degrees than a thermometer. He, 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 he understands theology. So I'll be like, okay, Dr. Mike, what is this passage saying to us when it comes to making a decision or a course correction? It's not just on me. I'm asking our prophet, Stacy. Hey, Stacy, what's the Lord been saying to you recently? Yeah. When it comes to soul winning and altar calls, I'm not just doing it. I get our evangelist up because a true evangelist can take up an offering and people will get saved. All right. <laughs> so, right. so we're working with deferring to graces and gifts to help build the church so that the church isn't weak in a particular area. Right. Wow. That's so good. You know, this is the reason why I wanted to interview you and have this discussion, Corey, because this to me is the critical paradigm shift in the season that we're living in. We've been crying out for revival for a long time. But the fact of the matter is when you study the New Testament, particularly um, the epistles, the letters and, and acts, you see very clearly Paul's writings in particular, you see very clearly that this was the approach that they embraced. And if we want to see revival, we're going to have to build on the right foundation. We're going yeah. to have to have uh, the right structure in place as well. And and as you said earlier on, clearly when we have the fivefold functioning and, and we have the church being built foundationally in the apostolic and prophetic, there is a supernatural grace that is released, an atmosphere um, that that is spiritual and brings that um, the you know the vision the cohesiveness uh, and and I love that because when when our focus is on the kingdom advancing the kingdom of God then everything else we need to be able to fulfill that the Lord takes care of that and yeah and and I really believe that because God has set in the church is what it says right so Absolutely. so good to hear that now. Let, let's just talk uh, in closing here about uh, Numa Church moving forward, coming out of COVID-19. Uh, what, what's on your heart? What's the Lord been saying to you? Um, we actually have um, back to in-person services this weekend. So Thanksgiving wow. weekend in, in the States, we're, we're back here. Um, look, I, I really do believe the last two years, have been a behind-the-scenes season for the church. Hmm. You know, a lot of people, I was hearing a lot of leaders talk about casting vision for 2020, you know, 2020 vision. Right. And that's good. That's, that, that's okay. I get it. <laughs> but the Lord spoke to my heart and said that the church is in a chrysalis stage of transition. Hmm. And he said to me what the, 2020 was the start of it. And I really do believe over the next three to five years leading up to 2025, not just the church, but the whole world is entering into a complete transition. Mm. And so the church, in order for us to be able to um, move with what God is wanting to do across the earth in this hour, there has to be a cutting away and there has to be a resetting and a reforming in order to be able to be that wineskin that's going to flex with that new move. And I do believe that we are in that chrysalis. I think there's still some things to play out in the next couple of years, not just globally, but more so for the church here in Australia. And I know in America, it's like God is moving the chess pieces on the chessboard. Mm. There's a lot of things moving around. The Lord said to me, you know, um, you're not going to be able to control what I'm going to do. Mm. Uh, I'm taking, it's like the Lord's saying, I'm taking center stage and and I'm now, if you're willing, I'm leading this thing mm. and your job is to follow closely yeah. and, and to align the church according to the patterns of the kingdom that I've shown and I'm going to do a lot of the things for you that you think that we control. I think we've discovered in this season that um, we have less control than what we realize we have. Yeah. And I do believe that the Lord is really um, taking center stage 
and he's wanting to reframe and reset the church. Hmm. And I do believe part of that is how we do leadership. Part of that is how we do our ministry in the wider community and how we be the people of God in a world that is desperately broken and is searching for answers. And so for us, we're going to keep doing what God has called us to do here, but we want to do it on steroids. We want to do it Hmm. multiplied. We want to have greater impact. And wherever God leads us and, and, and how that looks, we're, we're up for that adventure. Wow, that's powerful. Well, we certainly will be praying for you, your family, your wife, your, your family, and Numa Church uh, globally, what you're doing. I know you're actively involved in, in doing ministry or mission in other nations. Um, you mentioned Thailand. And uh, that's my heart. That's always been my heart. And I'm a, a guy that just loves to see people come to Christ and and see the Holy Spirit uh, just change people's lives. So um, obviously people listening to the podcast, watching the broadcast, Church is your website. And I know you also have a website. It's CoreyTurnerMinistries.com. And uh, people can go there to learn more about you. So I know you've written some books. You've, one of your books is uh, referenced on your website. Um, we just want to encourage people, if you are in Australia or you're in a place where Numa Church has location, guys, great ministry, great church. Honestly, this is the new expression, I believe, the kingdom expression, the, the wineskin that God is is raising up. And I recognize that, that we're all in transition. We're not where we used to be, but we're not fully where we need to be. But you guys are doing some amazing things, Corey, and uh, really take my hat off to you. Really appreciate what you're doing. I'm a kingdom guy. And when I see this, I recognize it and I go, this is the new thing. And I really pray and I, and I know that this, discussion this interview and what you've shared is going to impact a lot of people's lives so i want to encourage people to connect with you to connect with your ministry um we we're certainly glad to to have you with us i hope we can do this again and uh we can maybe drill down a little deeper into some things (laughs) yeah absolutely it's been a privilege glenn and thank you for the invitation to share and and just have such a heart for the body of Christ and for believers everywhere. So for all those watching, listening, thank you so much for your time. And and, and once again, Glenn, thank you so much. It's been a privilege. Well, uh, my privilege, really, it has. So thank you, guys. Um, we're going to say uh, adios to Corey Turner. Have a great day where you are in Melbourne. And uh, we thank you again for being part of the Kingdom Community broadcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Blessings. Have a great day. Bye. Well, guys, thank you, man. That was an amazing discussion with Corey Turner of Numa Church in Melbourne, Australia, and Corey Turner Ministries. What an incredible discussion. Please go ahead and share this broadcast. Just hit the share button. Leave your comments. Guys, follow us on social media, Kingdom Community. My name is Glenn Blakeney. Our website is kingdomcommunity.global, as well as another website, our personal ministry website, awakenations.org. We would love for you guys to check out what's going on. Yeah, in this new year, 2022, we're going to be traveling and doing training and equipping in the things of the spirit. We have the Kingdom School. If you're interested in inviting us to come and to share on location, we're going to be doing it online as well. The Kingdom School, just head over to awakenations.org, awakenations.org, and learn more about how to be equipped, trained to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, we have the Soteria School, which is where we actually come into a location and we minister, uh, first of all, foundationally from the scriptures, what the Bible actually teaches about healing, deliverance, freedom, and miracles. And then we see the power of God manifest, resulting in many miracles. If you guys are interested in knowing more, head to the, over to the website, awakenations.org forward slash Soteria. That's S-O-T-E-R-I-A. Thanks again, guys. This has been an incredible time. 
Blessings. Have a great day wherever you are in the world. We'll talk to you next time on the Kingdom Community Broadcast. Blessings. Thanks for joining us today at the Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.